This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Keep up with the latest headlines from Austin and beyond on the all-new Talk1370.com. Stay informed with the latest news, weather, contests, and more. It's all just a click away at Talk1370.com. Just one more way to stay connected with Talk 1370. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good afternoon, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Well, State Representative Phil King of District 61 will single-handedly kill constitutional carry this year in the state of Texas. On Tuesday... Representative King made the decision to not vote on HB 375, which is the actual constitutional carry bill sponsored by State Representative Jonathan Stickland. Instead, he opted to bring forward a vote on the insanely more restrictive HB 1911. Now, prior to the vote, five of the six Republicans made statements that HB 1911 did not go far enough to be constitutional carry, but all six voted to pass it out of committee. Now, this means that had King brought HB 375 up for a vote, it would have passed. Now, Representative King stated that his reason for doing this was because Representative Stickland had not yet brought up a committee substitute and that Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton had issues with HB 375. Then... Guess what happened? A.G. Paxton released a statement and he released his statement on Tuesday, which said throughout my entire life in public service, I have been a constant and steadfast supporter of constitutional carry. So guess what that means now? Well, now it's time to drop the hammer on Representative Phil King. Call his office and demand he pass HB 375 out of committee. Representative Phil King is single-handedly trying to kill constitutional carry. It's important that people understand there's a difference between constitutional carry and permitless carry. We're going to tell you that later on in the show, but definitely call his office tomorrow and let him know that we're not going to we're not going to stop fighting and we're going to count on him to I'm actually I'm going to count on you guys to make these calls. I really need you to make these calls and his number is 512-463-0738. That's 
888-900-0738. Definitely blow his phone up tomorrow. Starting tomorrow, call every day. Call Monday, call Tuesday, call Wednesday, call Thursday, call well, Friday. It has to be done tomorrow because that has to be heard by Tuesday the 25th. If he doesn't make a decision by then, it, I believe it gets tabled. All right, so this is – and it's really confusing because HB 1911 has been changed so many times – so here is what was actually voted on and passed out of committee. Now, you will not need a license to carry a handgun in Texas as long as you're a resident of Texas for six months. You are at least 21 years of age. You have not been convicted of a felony. Not charged with the commission of a class B, class A misdemeanor or felony. Not a fugitive from justice for a class B misdemeanor. And yes, uh, I, and I saw some heads go up, so I'm going to say that again. You cannot have been charged. You can't be charged with the commission of a class B or class A or felony charged. You're not a fugitive from justice for a class B misdemeanor. And you're not a chemically dependent person. You're not incapable of exercising sound judgment with respect to proper use and storage of a handgun. Uh, you have not in the past five years been convicted of a class B misdemeanor or higher. And you're fully qualified under applicable federal and state law to purchase a handgun. You're not delinquent in making of child support payments. You're not delinquent in paying any taxes by the state of Texas. And you're not currently restricted under a court order or protective order, restraining order affecting a spousal relationship. And you have not in the past 10 years uh, been adjudicated. By, by way of a felony. Okay, now this is not constitutional carry. This is permitless carry. You know, because the things that, some of the things that I really have a problem with is, and that's going to be the charged. I seriously have a problem with charge because you can walk outside your door and definitely get charged with something. Now, but before we talk about that, uh, let's talk about mass shooting or, or sovereign citizen. Now, today we have on the phone John Bush, and John Bush is the owner of Brave New Books, and my question is, was it a mass shooting or is this just a sovereign citizen, just a misunderstanding? Welcome to the show, John Bush. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, so yeah. what, well, first of all, what is a sovereign citizen? So a sovereign citizen is generally known as somebody that believes the state, local, or federal government especially does not have authority over their lives. And they take various tactics in order to uh, represent that in a legal way. Okay. And so what is your issue with uh, – because you did a, an interview this week on KVU News in, in reference to this mass shooting or uh, so-called mass shooting. So what, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I guess uh, I'm the uh, go-to guy for sovereign citizen interviews these days because I've done work in the past trying to further individual sovereignty, just the idea that we have control over our lives and it's unethical for other people or other institutions like government to try to control people. So break, um, that, break that down a little further for people. You know, so what really does that mean, uh, that you don't, uh, well, you don't have to do certain things, you shouldn't have to do certain things? Yeah, so I believe strongly in the philosophy of liberty and the idea that people ought to be allowed to live their lives according to their own ends, their own beliefs, their own values, so long as they don't interfere with another's equal rights to do the same thing. So ideally, in a genuinely free society, 
there aren't institutions such as government that are prohibiting people from pursuing happiness. That would mean that you don't get locked up in a cage for smoking cannabis. It would mean that you aren't ticketed and coerced into court for going two miles over the speed limit. And I think that would be a more peaceful society and humans would be able to thrive because government tends to get in the way of people doing things and accomplishing their goals. Now, what about uh, things like uh, having to have a driver's license, having to get um, you know, your vehicle registered and things of that nature? Yeah, um, driver's license is actually, according to the law, and there's a class going on right now, Brave New Books by Eddie Craig. According to the actual law, you're not required to have a driver's license unless you're engaged in transportation, hence the Texas Transportation Code. And transportation is the act of being paid to move goods or persons. What's, a, what's called a carrier. So if you have a big commercial truck, they're obviously getting paid to move goods. Or if you have an airplane that's commercial flights, or if you have a bus that's taking people from point A to point B, that's all commercial activity. And originally, those are the only people that had driver's license, and they had licenses and fees to pay for the maintenance of the roads because big trucks were creating more wear and tear on the roads. Um, and then, of course, over time, that turned into everybody needs one, and now everyone thinks everyone needs one because that's just what people say. And juries want you to have one because uh, juries will find you guilty because, hey, i got to have a driver's license. Why doesn't everyone else? But I don't think it's necessary to ask for permission before you go about traveling freely or before you go about your business. Just the same, I don't believe it's necessary to have a permit or to ask for permission in order to carry a firearm. Okay. And so now – but how does that relate to this particular case here with this guy here in Austin? How do you, how do you think that relates to that as being a sovereign sure. citizen? So, yeah, I got the call from uh, Jenny Lee to do an interview, and I wasn't very familiar with the situation, but I am familiar with sovereign citizens, and I've known sovereign citizens. And I wanted to look over the documents. So the headline that they ran earlier in the day was uh, APD foil, FBI foils mass shooting in Austin. And I immediately thought, wow, you know, a lot of, oftentimes the FBI actually is holding the person's hand that's going to do some terrible terrorist attack, whether it's a sovereign citizen or a Muslim extremist. So I said, I want to review the documents before I do the interview. And it turns out there's a criminal complaint for someone who has a couple different firearms charges for trying to illegally obtain a firearm and for illegal possession of a firearm. When you go through and read the criminal complaint, the only mention of sovereign citizen or mass shooting is a FBI informant that reached out to the FBI claiming this person has beliefs like sovereign citizen and that they were going to do a mass shooting. Now, notice they weren't charged with conspiring to do a mass shooting. I mean, that's got to be, I don't know what, exactly what charge that would be, but it's probably uh, worse than the firearms charges. Uh, and and, nothing- and unless they can get you on terroristic threats, uh, that would be the only thing they can do because it's really, unless you've actually done something, uh, there's really no sure. way. Well, there's no evidence that turned up when they executed a warrant on their home. There were firearms and a thousand rounds of ammunition, but that's not very crazy for someone that goes shooting often. And there was actually nothing in the criminal complaint except for an FBI informant, an anonymous FBI informant that said he was a sovereign citizen planning a mass shooting. Did you know that that when they, they brought up in court that he actually had a list of people that he was going to kill? Which court was this? This was uh, the court on Tuesday. Just on Tuesday? Yes. Okay. No, I was not familiar with that. Yeah, so he actually so. had, a, he had a list of people that he was going to kill. And then also, 
Uh, he was going to do it on April the 13th because April the 13th was his birthday. And he said that that was going to be a day that Austinites and the state of Texas would never forget. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, there's some, <laughs> there's some things there that would cause someone to question what this guy's motives are, what what his story is all about. Where did that information come out? Is there a document or is there somebody testifying that he said that? Yeah, that was in court. Yeah, but what's the source in the court? Like, I, I was there. <laughs> and and I, I knew and I actually knew this and just, you know. I actually knew a lot of this stuff uh, beforehand, like a week before this actually aired on the news, because the media caught me off guard with it because um, this was it wasn't supposed to be released, you know, the way it was done. Um, and the media kind of found out about it and kind of caught everyone off guard because I called the FBI and I said, hey, what's going on? I got the media calling me, you know, about this yeah. guy. And you guys didn't call me and tell me you guys released this information. And so I was kind of upset with them. And he was like, hey, well, it wasn't us. You know, it was the media. They actually found sure. the court documents. So and and it just they didn't put everything together, you know, probably because they weren't expecting the media to find out about it. So they didn't put everything in that document that they provided to the court. So all the information wasn't really there. Yeah. And, and I found it peculiar that they were running with the headline FBI foils mass shooting plot when the evidence that they were using the source for their story didn't really indicate that that's exactly what happened or that's what was going to happen. Yet right. the headlines that they run with make it appear as though it's already said and done, case closed. Right. And, and, it, and, it, I kinda, and I kind of like people to know that, you know, when when a person goes into the gun store, because we, we've done this a couple of times and I hate doing it. It really breaks my heart every time I do it. And when a person comes into the gun store to purchase a firearm, uh, the ATF or the NICS system will come back with a response of proceed, delayed or denied. Proceed, mm-hmm. out they go with the gun. Delayed, uh, they'll have to wait three business days and and then they can pick the gun up or deny it. If they get delayed, then we, we, de- we have to delay them three business days. And then after that third business day, and that does not include uh, weekends or holidays. So if you come in on a Friday, it doesn't include Saturday, Sunday. It goes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. On Thursday, we can transfer the firearm to you. Well, there are times there, it's very rare that does happen. It's like, man, this person is really sketchy and we're just not going to transfer that firearm to you. So they so we will hold off and we'll wait until we get a response back from the Knicks, whether it proceed, you know, or denied. And so sometimes we do do that. And so we'll we will not transfer the gun. Mostly usually we do ninety nine point nine percent of the time we will transfer the firearm. But that one percent, we won't do it because we just found we just you know, there's something just funny about it. There's something the way the person walked in or something. It's like, you know what, man, I don't feel right about this one. And that was one of those times. And so. You know, we held on to it and it turned out, you know, that scratch, that itch was actually right, you know, to, you know, what it seemed to me. And then it was actually his roommate, which was a female that actually turned him into the FBI. A roommate said, you know, uh, this guy is, you know, he's up to something. He's doing something. Here's what he's doing. And this is what when he's going to do it. And that's why they arrested him on April the the 12th, uh, the day before he said he was going to do something on April the 13th. All right, so we're talking about uh, we're talking about constitutional carry. We're talking about permitless carry. We're talking about a mass shooting or sovereign citizen. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talking. Hello, this is Gerald Darty, and I'm the Precinct Three County Commissioner here in Travis County, and you're listening to Come and Talking. 
If every talk radio program were the same, what would be the point? The Michael Berry Show is a little bit different. We're going to talk about politics, but we'll also talk about how great it is to live in Texas. Weekdays, 5 to 7 on Talk 1370. It's the Michael Berry Show. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. All right, we're talking about constitutional carry. We're talking about permitless carry. Which one do you want? Do you want constitutional carry or do you want permitless carry? There's a big difference between the two. Constitutional carry means that, hey, you should be able to carry that firearm with you without any restrictions whatsoever as long as you can legally own and possess it. Okay? And then there's permitless carry. That comes with... Well, you know what? You have to meet this, 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 and this, and then you can carry your handgun. There's a big difference between the two. And every other state in the United States is pushing for constitutional carry. Texas is the only state, which, by the way, we are 26th. We are the 26th pro-gun state in the nation. We're the only state that's pushing for permitless carry, which comes with some type of restriction. I tell you, there are some state representatives that really need to know what the Constitution means. They need to understand what that means and what that means for the people. Also, James White. <laughs> also, we're talking about a mass shooting. Uh, was it a mass shooting or is this just a, a sovereign citizen dis, a misunderstanding? So we're, we're trying to break that down. And I'm, I'm actually trying to understand what a sovereign citizen is. Because I, I I really never heard that term because we always put label on labels on things <laughs> and I, I honestly I've never heard of that term until this week so that's actually new to me but you've heard of that before yeah I, I have um, not knocking them I think some of their ideas are quite fringed um, what do you mean fringed well when you walk into a courtroom and you believe that the United States has declared war on you because of a golden fringe on the outside of a flag I, I think your beliefs might be a little. Uh, afraid for my reality and i'm not knocking it but i am saying that it's an extreme take on what freedom means um freedom means free it does and then you know you let us free you can take that to a limit of you know saying let's go on the right you know you can say libertarianism is about the freedom these guys they have judges and lawyers scared in other states because of some of their fringed beliefs and not all of them are and i i I can support them on their ideas, but um, some of the some of the the things I've read that they've published are quite extreme, and uh, if taken to an extreme, can be dangerous and the wrong. I, I guess I could say you could put the ideas in the wrong person's head. Like this guy was saying, he wants to do a mass shooting, and anybody could take this to a dangerous level. Well, my my problem with the with the summer, and he just talked about it with the driver's licenses versus the license to have a gun. Well. Big difference, constitutional right versus a privilege. Driving a car, yeah, you need a license. I'm sorry. I love freedom, but Mike's grandpa at 91 years old does not need to be driving a car. He even attested that. They made him go take a driving test. (laughs) Well, you know. Because because not everybody needs to be driving. I'm sorry, but a 12-year-old does not need to be behind the, the wheel. Trust me, I was that 12-year-old that got behind the wheel, and I totaled my brother's Camaro for it. So don't be – we need licenses because, you know, there is some sort of standard we have to keep. And when it's not infringing on somebody else's rights, yeah, I understand. But if you take a car at 90 miles an hour and you're 91 years old and you can barely see the road and you kill a whole busload of kids, that's infringing on somebody else's rights. Okay, John Bush, come on in here. Get some of this. 
Sure. Um, so driving, actually traveling freely, even in an automobile, is a right. It's not a privilege, and the Supreme Court upholds that as well, as well as do many state courts and district, federal district courts. Uh, there's an illusion that you're required to drive with one, and everyone upholds that illusion in the in the lower courts, the municipal courts, traffic courts. However, the Supreme Court has has upheld someone's right to travel. Yeah, they right have because they said that, the that, a, that government doesn't have the right to stop somebody from traveling from point A to point B, no matter how they're trying to get there. And my argument is is that Mike's grandpa at 91 years old that can't see does not need to be driving a vehicle because he's going to yeah. kill somebody. Well, that doesn't mean that Mike's grandpa is going to all of a sudden get behind the wheel or a 12-year-old is going to get behind the wheel. And conversely, even though there's laws requiring you to have a driver's license and you can't get one until the age of 16 uh, as your co-host there stated he was ignoring those laws and getting behind the wheel also just because someone has a driver's oh, license goodness. doesn't mean that they're a safe driver people lose eyesight people are drunk uh things change over time some states have a driver's license that lasts for 50 years like in arizona it lasts forever so i think that it's I don't want to live in a society. I live in one, but I don't want to live in one that requires you to ask permission of the government uh, before doing something. And just because there's a law that requires it doesn't mean that it's safe. Come on, Zach, get in here and get some of this. Uh, let us free. Yeah, I just got in two wrecks in the last three months, and uh, <laughs> I hope my driver's license doesn't get revoked. It better not. They do not have the right He's like, to well, take that away from me just because. You can't, drive with, you can't drive with a crash. You can't drive with a damn. I still have that right. <laughs> As you should. I don't know. I, and just, uh, we're going to vote you off the island because you can't drive. <laughs> You're voted off the island. If there weren't driver's license requirements, it doesn't mean that everyone all of a sudden is going to be unsafe and unreasonable. Just as though if, if heroin were to be legalized, for example, doesn't mean everyone's, everyone's going to all of a sudden start trying heroin. There's other ways to go about it. Uh, for example, if the institution selling a car, probably don't want to sell a car to a 91-year-old person or a 12-year-old. I think there could be different standards in place where this type of thing could uh, could be made regular, regulated, not through government per se, but through, through other means. Yeah, and I understand that. Typically, I like to let the market dictate things. You know, if you like the company, you, you support them. But you can't really let a market dictate an age on like driving or something of that nature just because it's not going to fly that way. I mean, the market, there's no market that's going to, you know, there is going to be a little mom and pop dealership that's going to sell to a 10 year old and say, hey, you want to drive? Here you go, kid. I have them keys. Don't kill nobody. Good luck. I mean, there will be somebody that would do that. And there's 10 year olds that steal cars and stuff. I mean, yeah, that was me. laws don't make us a risk free society. <laughs> and I would have a, rather have a little bit of risk. Uh, and a lot of freedom, in my opinion. I have to, I I have to really disagree Honestly, I with you. Go ahead, Kent. Get in there. Get some. I just, you know, have you ever read the book The Jungle? It wasn't like one day that the Food and Drug Administration just grew out of nothing. I mean, there was reasons because the free market was so unregulated, it is so unregulated, that regulations came about through trial and error, and many people died in order to create these laws and concepts. Mm. You used to be able to drive without a seatbelt. Then they made it a law because the death counts were mounting up. You know, you used to be able to drive without a license, and guess what? The death count was adding up. I think butter's lifting, drip, dripping from his mouth. Go ahead. I mean, it's just <laughs> by, by going back to saying, what regular, how would you want the free market to dictate and regulate? I just, I can't even understand because that's what led us to where we're at now with the laws that we have. John, will you please 
uh, take that key and and, and un- unlock his chains? <laughs> Um, unfortunately, the regulatory schema these days is not about protecting consumers. It's much more about protecting big businesses that already have a large market share and making it harder for future people to compete with them. And I believe that's how most regulations were founded upon. I think it's a bit of a, a myth that we're taught in public school that uh, this ethical government was always acting in the best interest of its subjects and citizens. And that's, that's just not the case. Yeah, the jungle was uh, required reading in my public school as well. Was yeah, it? and um, there's standards change. You know, um, a lot of people like to attribute this reduction in these major diseases to vaccines, for example. But if you also chart the course of sanitary conditions in civilized societies, and there was a big point when doctors realized, oh, my God, we should wash our hands in between surgeries and patients. There was also a dramatic reduction in disease. So it isn't necessarily government that's driving progress in society. I would argue that government is the great hindrance. Rather, I think that people come together, they learn from one another, uh, people become more intellectual, more engaged in civics, and, and that's culture change is a bigger driver for societal change than government passing a law, in my opinion. You know what I really miss? That time when we had polio, because I don't remember it at all going to throw that out there for the vaccines because that wasn't part of the argument mm. so what are you saying well, i'm saying I, I don't even remember a time of polio i've never had smallpox i've never had any of these crippling diseases but i have family members that are the remnants of that past time so to say that the vaccines somehow are an illusion and giving people autism that's i don't believe that at all there might be issues wow. with it but overall it's grown society more than it has stopped it well there there's got to be a balance there's, I see what you're saying on the sovereign side. And I see, you know, like we needed the FDA, for example, since we're kind of on that subject. We need some of these vaccines and whatnot. Now, granted, do uh, does a five-year-old need a hep B, which is a sexually transmitted disease? Really, do they need that vaccine? I don't really think so. So, I mean, yeah, there are there is an overreach. And I think that's where the sovereign thing is starting to come in because it's, Government is getting to be too much. Instead of just saying, okay, we need to have this limited rule, this limited now they just expand. They keep expanding on that one rule and make it a law, and then that law gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think that's yep. where a lot of the problem is coming from. I don't know. I just, I've seen um, – <clears throat> I read a story where mothers are delivering babies now who are HIV positive, and so you, there are things that you can transmit to your – you know, oh, to yeah. the fetus. So I don't know. Uh, what do you think, John? Yeah, I agree. I agree with the balance. I don't think government should be government is at the as as its essence violence. Uh, Government uses coercion, the fear of violence or violence outright in order to enforce those laws. And I don't think that that's the solution. I do agree that there should be greater balance. And I would hope that most people, except for a lot of progressives these days, would would agree that we shouldn't force a vaccine onto people. Um, And I do agree that more and more people are looking to sovereignty, whether it's the tactics of the sovereign citizen or the liberty movement or they're they're appreciating more and more people like Ron Paul and Rand Paul uh, because the government has overstepped its bounds entirely. And I would argue it's not the problem isn't who's in charge of government, what party or what person is in charge of government. The problem is government itself. It's an institution that enables really bad people to do really bad things and get away with it because they wear a badge or because they're a U.S. senator, uh, even stuff like pedophilia, there's a lot of stuff going on now that's starting to come uh, come to light. So while I don't agree with everything sovereign citizens do or say or believe, and some of it is not based in true law, uh, I do appreciate that there's people that are willing to 
um, put their money where their mouth is and stand up. And a, and a big issue that, you know, we just passed April 15, sovereign citizens and many legal scholars believe that the income tax is entirely fraudulent, unconstitutional, is never constitutionally ratified. That's been proven. When you read through the actual code, uh, they use the term voluntary compliance. And then a lot of legal scholars and lawyers point out that income originally was supposed to be from gains on an investment. And originally the income tax was supposed to apply to federal employees. It's not necessarily wages or when you sell a good or a service. And I think the cool thing about a lot of these sovereign citizens is they're actually, they believe that and they're, they're standing for it. And I think that's, so that's here, honorable. Let, let me ask, let me ask, are these sovereign citizens, are they homeowners or are they renting an apartment? Because I can guarantee you if I didn't pay my taxes, they're going to come from my home and I'm going to lose my house. And that's that's yeah, fact. And whether whether you're a sovereign citizen or not, they're going to come and take your crap from you because you owe them and they're going to come and get it whether you like it or not. And there's no there's no way around that. So not paying taxes is great. So I just want to know how many sovereign citizens, what kind of percentage are actually homeowners that actually have something to lose? I do not know. And there's a lot of people that are proud of themselves for not paying taxes and they never made enough income to even be required to file. But uh, again, as I was saying, it's honorable. A lot of people believe so firmly in their own sovereignty and they believe that government to be unethical and illegitimate, that they're willing to put their property on the line. And I think if more people were willing to do that, then we wouldn't have a government that's completely out of control. All right, so we're talking with John Bush, with the owner of Brave New Books. We're talking about, hey, you know, constitutional carry versus permitless carry. We're talking about, was it a mass shooting or was it just a, just a misunderstanding? He was a sovereign citizen. You know, Harriet Tubman said that, I freed a thousand slaves. I could have freed a thousand more if you only, if they only knew they were slaves. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk. This is State Representative Jonathan Stickland, and you are listening to Come and Talk It on Talk 1370. We know Austin traffic can be a challenge. Come on, I can drive and take you that gap. Put your foot on the gas and move it. Beat the commute with Time Saver Traffic. Mornings and afternoons on Talk 1370, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're talking about constitutional carry today. We're talking about permitless carry. We're actually weighing, weighing the two of those. Which is better? Is it better to have constitutional carry? Is it better to have permitless carry? Uh, constitutional carry says, hey, constitution, say, constitution says I can carry, just like the state of Vermont. Vermont has constitutional carry. Anyone can go to Vermont. They can carry their handgun, long gun, openly or concealed, and you don't need a license. Um, permitless carry, well... Permitless carry, there's a whole list of things the state of Texas says that you will not be able to do. Um, and, and, and that means that when a police officer pulls you over, and we're going to get into this a little later, a police officer pulls you over, they're going to have to verify quite a few things, a list of things, about 13 items they're going to have to verify. 
So ridiculous, you, man. If you that don't adds have a so license. much time to their job, they could be doing something better. Yeah, so if you don't have a license, they're going to have to verify when they pull you over. If you have a gun in your vehicle, you don't have a license. Are you a legal resident of Texas for six months? Police are going to have to verify that. Are you at least matter. 21 years of age? Have you been convicted of a felony? Have you been charged with the commission of a Class B or A misdemeanor? Wait, wait, wait. Let, let me back you up. Let me back you up. Hold on. That first one. Legal so, resident, six months. What if I am visiting? I'm from, I don't know, let's just say Montana. Pick a state. You South can, Dakota. And I'm visiting, and I'm driving my brother-in-law's truck, mm-hmm. and I get pulled over. I have a Montana ID or North Dakota or South Carolina or whatever state you want. And I say, hey, here's my ID. You I have, have a gun. Am I going to get in trouble now? Absolutely. You cannot be, you, you, you got to have a handgun license that's recognized by the state of Texas. But, it's my, brother's, state of Texas. but it's my brother's truck. Sorry, we do not he's, care. He's allowed to have a gun in the car, and son, I'm just driving it to go to the store. Son, listen. Get some milk. Son, listen. We don't care that you are coming here visiting from South Dakota or Montana, okay? You got to be a resident of Texas for six months. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous. You want to talk about ridiculous? Okay, House Bill 1911. If you look at Texas Penal Code 42.01, number two, makes an offensive gesture or display in a public place, and the gesture or display tends to incite an immediate breach of the peace. Mm. So if you fart in public... Oh yeah, you can if, lose your gun you rights. Rip it. You rip it in a mall, and it stinks and clears out the food court. Leland Freeman, he sh- <laughs> Leland, Le- uh, Leland needs to be at the Capitol protesting this one. I know, right? <laughs> hey, Leland, why haven't you called in yet, yeah, man? Just keep it I'm real, missing you, buddy. <laughs> All right. So, so my problem, if if we're going to get on the nineteen three seventy five issue, nineteen eleven three seventy five issue, is intoxication. Okay. Right now, if if nineteen eleven goes through, people need to understand that the that they go off of intoxicated on how the cop feels. If he's pissed off at you or you said the wrong thing, you looked at him wrong, or you, or you smell funny, Leland, then uh, he could go ahead and arrest you for, into- you know, you're intoxicated now. You have a weapon on you. That's a much harsher charge, whereas 375 actually specifies the term intoxicated like the law does mm. at being .08. So if you're .06, then you're good. You can actually go have your beer and not have to go to jail. So right now, the law says that, hey, if you don't have a license, it's, you have a handgun in your vehicle, to the you know, you don't even have to tell that officer that you have a gun in your vehicle. Right. And let's say you do go have one drink. <clears throat> if you don't have a license, you have a gun in your vehicle, it's .08 yep. is the legal limit. .08. But when 1911 goes into effect... That one drink. Now you're you, screwed. You can lose your gun rights. Yep. Now you're screwed. There's no legal <laughs> You're just limit. like us licensees now. <laughs> There's no point of eight, no seven, no six, no five, no four. If they if that officer pulls you over, you've had that one drink, because guess what? One drink does not smell any different than two drinks or mm-hmm. three or four or five. Yep. And so once this goes into effect, September the first, that means that you will lose your gun rights because now it does not have to be a point oh eight. It could be a seven six five four, any limit at all, and you're held to a much higher. You standard. could have a zero point zero zero. Your wife could spill the drink on you on your shirt, and you could still potentially go to jail for this. You can go have a drink the have drinks the night before, and turn around what? and go to work the next That's morning. What? You're charged, so you're going to lose your gun rights for five years, five regardless years. of whether you blew a zero 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 infinite. And if or not. you have a handgun license, you'll have to petition a judge to get your rights back yep. under this bill. Please, judge. All right, hey, so- sovereign citizens should hate that one.
So let's talk about the judges and, and the sovereign citizens and uh, Kent, because the, you were saying uh, up north or somewhere, <clears throat> a lot of judges were kind of afraid or having issues or getting security because of sovereign citizens. Yeah, uh, a lot of judges and law lawyers, I'm, I should reiterate that, are caring now and, you know, they should. Being a sovereign citizen isn't a bad thing, but there's a very fringe minority amongst them that have been known to get violent, but they're not just violent. Some of them are very intelligent individuals and they're using tactics such as liens and lawsuits in mass to overwhelm and confuse individuals that they don't get their way. So not only are they fighting the law, they're using civil disobedience, which I am all for, and using that law against those who enforce the law upon us, but to the point that it overwhelms the court systems, um, and some of them have become violent. Some of them do believe that the government is at war with us, and they'll state only their serial number, name, and say that they have diplomatic immunity and such inside courtrooms. Um, And when you take these beliefs to such a fringed I keep using that word, but it's the only one I, I can think of. When you take a belief to that extreme, you will get those extreme people to do extreme things and protect that ideology. And if their philosophy is so extreme, they will use extreme measures. And oftentimes it has become violent. They didn't rise in ranks and be called a terrorist group by accident. This was a systematic event across the nation by many groups, many unrelated to each other. But it does attract that extremist mindset. Just like any group, no, this is not the whole, but there are enough of them that it has raised the, uh, you know, it has raised the issue amongst many people. All right. So, uh, John Bush, is that such a bad thing to have that tool in your toolbox to be able to do that to fight that particular case? Yeah, I think there's a bunch of judges that are bitter that uh, sovereign citizens are turning around and using their own legal tactics against them. Uh, The government's referred to it as paper terrorism. Uh, my wife and I have studied the Department of Homeland Security from its inception and this, these institutions called fusion centers, which are multi-jurisdictional law enforcement um, agencies that share information and intelligence on a local, state, and federal level. They put out these reports, and one of the things that we noticed is they seem to be most concerned with individuals and groups. Uh, sovereign citizens aren't a group per se. It's just an identification of someone's philosophy and tactics. But the government wants everyone to think that it's some big, scary group that's going to cause terror attacks. But we found that what a lot of these groups have in common that and individuals that the lone wolves, they call them, that the government is so concerned with is they all seem to reject government authority, whether it's uh, African-American Moors, Black Panther Party, uh, anarchists. The government is terrified that there's so many groups that are growing in ranks that don't believe in the government's authority. And if that idea gets out and more and more people hop on, which it is, thanks to WikiLeaks, the CIA spying, NSA, Edward Snowden, Bradley Manning, um, the government, people are beginning to realize that the emperor wears no clothes and the whole institution is a big racket to benefit the few at the expense of the many. So to call sovereign citizens a terrorist group because an extremely small minority of people that are identified as sovereign citizens uh, do violent things, I think, is uh, very unfortunate. And it's just another tactic of the government to marginalize a group of people that are growing in predominance. My wife's been called a terrorist by the Department of Home- or by the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is basically an in- uh, intelligence arm of the Department of Homeland Security and FBI. A lot oh, of these no, she's a, that, she's a sweet lady. She's one of the sweetest people I know in Austin. No way. I know, unless her husband gets her mad, but <laughs> that doesn't rise to the level of terrorism. <laughs> right? 
But all those groups you mentioned, they do get notoriety by using violent tactics. In the end, that's how those groups have gained members and attracted attention to themselves. You just said the Black Panther Party... um, that's what they're the a violent army was killed and murdered by the FBI, and they started arming themselves and protecting uh, the black community from racist, violent cops. They arm themselves as a reaction to an oppressive institution that's systematically racist, and in many instances, in most towns and cities, still is to this day. They weren't going out. In fact, they were doing uh, community work. They were providing meals to the homeless and shelters and helping single mothers. And they were simultaneously saying, we reject what they saw a big problem being white authority. What anarchists and myself see is it being a government or institution, whether it's a black man or a white man in control of it, they were rejecting that. And that's what makes the federal government afraid. And that's what made the federal government use their counterintelligence program in order to literally assassinate leaders and create dissension amongst the ranks. All the same kind of stuff happens today. The way I see it, if someone wants to be left alone, they just want to live their lives. They don't want to subsidize an institution they find unethical. They don't want to pay for Trump or Obama to drop bombs on the Middle East. They don't want to fund these massive police state SWAT teams. People should be able to go about their business and not participate. If somebody harms another person, then we can sort that out. But by and large, most people that have views where they favor sovereignty and they're not fans of the government, they're peaceful people that simply want to be left alone. And the government won't leave them alone. And what instances are the government, I should say, is the government affecting these peaceful people on a day-to-day basis and forcing draconian law i just you know i live my life very casually i go to work i go home i go eat i go play i go have fun i shoot my guns almost daily i i drink i i have a lot of fun in this life and in what way is the government infringing upon that i mean well, you're, yeah. you're just in la la land is you know you don't know that your rights are being infringed on I mean, this is true. You know what? I I get it. I'm a white heterosexual male. I have absolutely no say in any part of this life, but I can just simply say that in no way am I... Well, I can push that button, can I? I, I'm just... That's an argument I get. It's just... I don't don't quite understand it. You know, where... What draconian laws are being infringed upon you? And I get... I 100% agree with you. Are you a small business person by chance? Am I what? Run your own business? No, I don't. you run your own business? No, but I work Um, for somebody who does run their own business. And I think yeah, the tax laws people, are insane. I, I don't believe yeah, in of, dropping these bombs. I, I don't believe I'm with you on so much of it. But when you take it to the extremes you do, that's where I have to pull back and say there has to be a moderate middle that we can reach. I don't think it's extreme to simply want to be left alone, and not participate in something that's unethical. And there are a lot of people yourself, it sounds like, that are OK with going about their daily business. But for me, whenever I see pictures of orphaned children whose fathers and mothers have been destroyed by the U.S. government, by the money that we pay every April 15th, it doesn't sit well with me. And it so makes then me why are you happy. here? Why, 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 why are you I yeah, was born here? If, if you don't like paying the taxes, because taxes are, are a fact of life, you know, guarantees in life, taxes and they death, right? Be. So yeah. if you don't like paying for a, com- a country that, is building roads, is giving you the life you like to live, Income and, tax and go to pay allows roads. you to to talk all the crap you want about them. Why are you here? I mean, no, you can go, you can go to Venezuela, you can go to Cuba. I mean, you can go anywhere in the works. world you want. Your argument doesn't work, and it has a lot of holes in it. I would argue that originally the United States of America was a lot more free. There wasn't an income tax until 1913. 
So those that favor yeah, them. Yeah, and Social back, Security was supposed go? to be a voluntary thing. But guess yeah, what? We're all born all people with people that want to control. Why don't the people that want to control other people go find somewhere else to go? And the people that want to live in accordance with natural law peacefully just have a good time and, and build I, things. Okay, but I, you I, said I, you I actually, been put in a cage. I actually, I agree with John on that. I, on that, point. I do. But here's the thing: if nobody here in this country pays taxes, are we going to have any roads? Are we going to have schools? Income tax doesn't pay for roads. It mainly services the national debt. And funds the Department of Defense. Here's my middle ground. You want a middle I'm, ground? I'm, I'm just talking I'm about taxes. Pay... Screw that middle ground. Stand your ground. <laughs> no, don't no, give up. Don't give up ground. anything. Don't give thing. up anything. If, if Stand you your get, ground. If you get rid of income taxes, then what are you going to replace it with? Because the that money has to come will... from somewhere. So do you increase no, the sales tax or what? Increase no, property you tax? Drop it, and the federal government has to trim up quite a bit. And we could drop the Department of Agriculture and Department of hey, Education. I agree with that one wholeheartedly. I'll pay for those services that I use. So when I go to the city park with my family, I'll drop a couple bucks in a collection box. When I drive my car, I'll pay for the gas tax because the government doesn't do a good job of it all the time, but there are roads that benefit my life. And the gas the gas tax is supposed to go to the roads, correct? Yes, it goes for the roads. I don't want to pay for APD because they've put me in a cage and I think they treat black people poorly and they're just a terrible institution. Certainly don't want to pay for the bombs. I don't need to pay for like health and human services because I'm married. I don't need an AIDS test. I don't want to pay for those services that I don't use. And I especially don't want to subsidize those services that I find to be unethical, like the Department of Defense and well, APD. And I absolutely so I agree. I this peacefully. So then how do you dictate you what to pay and what not to? How do you make everyone say, okay. The market will determine. If people find value in something to the point where they're willing to give their hard-earned money to support it, then those services will rise in, in predominance. So if, if, if I love no roads, have, but I don't want to pay for them because I got a badass truck and I can handle any bump that comes at me, then, then well, I won't pay in taxes. In free society, there'd probably be more toll roads like it or not but they won't be multiple multi-tax where you but pay then, for it but then you wouldn't tax. have the gas tax if, if if you're paying to drive on a toll road then you're actually paying for that toll road to be serviced so the gas well, tax would actually disappear then you said well, you had been put in a cage fine. for these beliefs were you locked up for having a, an opinion or a point of view what, what yeah do you mean? i was arrested on UC hold that campus hey john hold ago. john hold that thought all right so we're talking about uh was it is it about being a sovereign citizen or is it about you know, a mass shooting. We're talking about constitutional carry versus permitless carry. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talking. Peace. This is Maj Pure. You're listening to Come and Talking Radio with Michael Cargill. Keep up with the latest headlines from Austin and beyond on the all-new Talk1370.com. Stay informed with the latest news, weather, contests, and more. It's all just a click away at Talk1370.com. Just one more way to stay connected with Talk 1370. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. All right, so now I'm going to go to my safe space. <laughs> Is that here? Yeah, that's right here. In this room? In this room. It's my <laughs> safe space. All right, so now let me, let, let me bring into the conversations. Uh, I'm going to open up the line here. And our call-in number is 512-643-5483. That's 512-643-LIVE. Come and talk it. Once again, that's 512-643-5483. Let me go to line three. 
Line three, James. James, you're on with Come and Talking. Hi, Michael. How you doing? What's going on, Jada Cruz? Uh, getting ready to graduate. Woo! I'm proud of you. Congrats. Thank you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Um, all the way from, tell, tell everyone where you're graduating from. So I'm a law student at Harvard Law School. Harvard Law School. Uh, graduating next month. Nice. And, and, and I remember James uh, way back when he was a student at Texas Tech University. And Guns up. That's right. <laughs> and we had him on the show and, and talk about quite a few things there. Uh, so the, I'm definitely proud of James now graduating from Harvard Law School. Congratulations on Thank that. Thank you so much. I wish I could be there for you. All right. So yeah, what's your question for us today? Yeah, I mean, so I, I just don't uh, I don't really understand this whole sovereign citizen thing, uh, especially, uh, you know, when it was compared to like the Black Panthers and a little bit ago, because apparently the Black Panthers did a lot of uh, community policing. I found that very surprising because the mafia also did that. And yet we have no problem calling them uh, organized crime, if not a semi-terrorist uh, organization. I, I just don't see how uh, disobeying all laws that you disagree with really is justified under this uh, principle of sovereignty of citizens. John Bush? Uh, first, I think sovereign citizens an oxymoron, because if you're a true sovereign, you're not a citizen of any country. But I don't Thank think you. that the Black Panthers were doing anything to harm the communities. And in fact, the marginalized black communities they were involved in uh, were were very grateful that they participated and helped to reduce police brutality. I think that the United States government and governments as a whole have gotten too large, too invasive, and far too violent. And they engage in far too many treacherous activities. The type of stuff that you watch movies about is happening now. And I think more and more people are beginning to believe government is illegitimate and see it for what it really is, which is not very different from the mafia, except we're all made to believe in public school that it's some glorious thing we ought to salute and do the pledge every day. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And hey, it's not for everybody. Um, some people appreciate government. Some people are fearful of the personal responsibility that comes along with total freedom. But there are a growing number of people, whether they're libertarians, left anarchists, or sovereign citizens, that have had enough. And I'm glad that more and more people are acting on those convictions because I think uh, we may not have a totally free society like I envision, but I think people putting their money where their mouth is and acting on those convictions are going to help to rein in government for all of the moderates to appreciate James as well. So what is the difference between the sovereign between the sovereign citizens and just anarchy? Well, I consider myself an anarchist. I believe that all human relationships and contracts and associations should be voluntary and mutually beneficial. I don't think anyone should be forced or coerced to participate in something that they don't have value for or agree. Sovereign citizens is a particular uh, school of thought. Uh, there's various schools of thought. It's really a catch-all phrase in reality. It's a lot of unique individuals, but it has to do with people believing that they're sovereign and then taking certain legal remedies to enshrine that sovereignty. Not all of them hold water. Not all of them have merit. Some of them I do believe to be true based on my uh, research. But So that's the difference. Not all sovereign citizens are anarchists. Some of them believe there should be a Republican form of government. There's some sovereign citizens that call themselves state nationals, and they reject the federal authority, but they identify with a state government or a republic. James? For some Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, so what this seems to me is uh, a quasi-anarchist uh, group that wants to uh, 
just pick and choose what laws they want, uh, which, I mean, and then they claim that they have a sovereignty which doesn't exist because I guess they haven't read Thomas Hobbes. Uh, and I just don't understand uh, how one could justify, you know, like who, who actually enjoys, you know, reading about what happens in Libya uh, at the hands of the United States or what happens in, you know, uh, all the deaths in Syria and stuff like that. Nobody likes that. But that doesn't make it illegitimate by any means. Mm-hmm. Murdering innocent civilians is most certainly illegitimate and unethical and should be branded as such. And for people to have the courage to no longer subsidize that type of foreign engagement, more power to them. So do you vote? So, I don't vote. I haven't. I used to vote every single election, big or small. And in about a decade of voting, only one person that I ever voted for, Judge Melissa Goodwin, who by no means is a libertarian, uh, won. I, I reject the concept of voting in order to bring about change. You can see who the president is now. Nothing's really changed very much. Still dropping bombs. There's still a Federal Reserve. There's still massive income tax and inflation. Um, and I don't think that it's the best way to bring about change. So you no longer believe in civil disobedience. You're just saying in complete disobedience. No, civil disobedience is a great tactic. I would like to create alternative institutions that we can organize socially. For example, I try to limit my use of Federal Reserve notes as much as possible and instead use cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, which is a wonderful example that anarchism works on a global scale. There's no central authority. There's no government. There's barely any regulations. And people are able to trade and start businesses and do it on a global scale. I would rather see people, instead of supporting the police or even protesting against the police, arm yourselves, form self-defense compacts, use applications like GetCell411.com that allow you to alert your neighbors if there's a fire or an issue. And then I would rather see people branch out and starting to truly live free now rather than wait on the government to catch up with our ideals. There's nothing violent about that. James? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't even know, like, where, where to start. Uh, so, you know, in the case of, you know, the uh, Chicago fire or, you know, just any huge fire, you're just wanting to rely on your neighbors for help? No, there's many volunteer fire departments. As I said before, if people want to subsidize institutions like a fire department to help them, then there's, there's no problem with that. And maybe even it's one that uh, operates over a certain region. As long as it allows, allows competition, there's nothing wrong there. So how does a volunteer fire department get its fire trucks and building and fire gear and oxygen tanks Through donations. and masks? I was a firefighter and a volunteer fire department in Dale, Texas. We This concept that you can subsidize firefighting through through competitive advantage is so backwards it's scary if that's what you actually believe happens we were using scbas from 1961 that had cracks in it my tank weighed over 50 pounds we were using donated trucks that were decades past even servicing um and and and, yeah there was a emergency district set up around us that had infinitely better equipment and even they handling comparison to something like austin fire I mean, yeah. what what world are you coming from that you think firefighting can have a competitive advantage to, to taking to, to firefighting? I mean, there's so many aspects to it. You really yeah. explain this to me. I, I really like this train of thought is interesting to me. You could run a fire department uh, as a as a business, a for profit business, or you could have a volunteer one. Or if people want to organize themselves into a municipality 
and have a fee that everyone pays annually in order to subsidize the volunteer fire, the fire department, then that, that's fine and well. I don't know exactly what it would look like, but I do know that monopolies make things worse and competition and choice makes things better. So in other words, you think the fire department is a monopoly? In certain jurisdictions, there's only one entity that's allowed to operate emergency services. The the fire department. Protection or in the realm of fire. The fire department is not a monopoly. It's paid for through an emergency service district and ESD. Those taxes go directly. It's not called a monopoly if it's your county or local jurisdiction you're saying I you want a monopoly you're wanting organizations to be created that are funded by civilians and and they are run by civilians they're run by your neighbors a volunteer fire department is the guy I down the street that. i would pay if i had a choice i would pay for the fire departments and i think most people would because people benefit from fire departments if i had a choice not to pay for apd I'd be perfectly content to carry my firearm. So then when they go to vote for an initiative and APD or the fire department or EMS or any of the first responders, they say, hey, we need better health care and we need an extra raise of $10,000 a year per firefighter. And every single person goes and votes no or yes. So you don't vote, though. So why do you have a say in any of that? Because you're not putting in your say when it matters, when it matters to vote, to pay for these guys or not. You're assuming the only way to engage politically or civilly is to vote. That's the weakest way to engage politically or civilly. Trust me, I make phone calls all the time, but still voting is a very good way. I don't want to voluntarily participate in an institution that I object to. All right, go ahead, James. yeah, I mean, so as far as, okay, so you, you don't like, I guess, the Social Security or any of the, you know, HUHS. It's a Ponzi uh, scheme. You know, sure, it's, it's a Ponzi scheme that if you uh, are unable to pay for your medical care and you go into the emergency room that you're automatically treated. So you just want to be, you know, let's say that that's the situation. Uh, you weren't bright enough to uh, pay for, you know, these Ponzi schemes, as you call them, you just want whoever it is to be carted out into the street, thrown out into the, the street, no. and let them die. Did or, I say that? Uh, why did why are you mean, putting words in my mouth? I never said that. I'm, I'm not, I'm just, I, hey, I'm just saying, like, all right. So you said it was a Ponzi scheme. You don't want to pay into it. Social Security, if yes, that, it's a Ponzi scheme. Okay, and HUHS. Uh, what does that acronym stand for? So Department of Health and Human Services. Oh, yes. I, think, I, I don't favor that either. Not for me. Okay. So the Department of Health and Human Services created a regulation that demands that uh, hospitals uh, treat uh, indigent The Hippocratic or, Oath predates all of that. The Hippocratic, the Hippocratic Oath that doctors oath take. Is ethical. The Hippocratic Oath I know. is ethical That's and great. not legal. And so I know. I think more, a lot of people go by what they believe to be right. I had a child that broke his leg. And at the time, I was not doing well financially. They took care of it at Dell Children's Hospital, which is a nonprofit institution subsidized by large donations from wealthy people. In the absence of health and human services or some sort of tax or some sort of law forcing doctors to treat people, I do not believe that people would be left out in the street. And before health and human services existed as a local institution or a federal institution, doctors were helping people that got hurt. There are plenty of nonprofit hospitals. 
Yeah, and they know, work just fine. It's not necessary. There's this illusion that if, if we lose government or we lose these social governments, government. everyone's going to be screwed. That's not the case. I volunteer. I help people, and I, I don't have to have a gun put to my head in order to have a good heart. I actually think that more people would help other people if they were able to keep more of their money and if they didn't have to work so damn hard because of all the taxes and inflation, we'd, we'd have more time to help our fellow people and fellow humans. Instead, everyone just relies on the government to do it all, to keep us safe, to care for the elderly, to, care, to provide health care, and the government isn't acting in your best interest. That's a total illusion. All right, so bad, greedy people that take up the seat of government. All right, so John, go ahead and tell us about what's happening new with Brave New Books, because John is John Bush is the owner of Brave New Books. What you, what you got going on new there? Sure, yeah, I'm a small businessman, so in the past two years, I've had visits from about seven to eight government agencies, and I'm not like flying by the seat of my pants or doing stuff crazy. So I, I have a personal experience with how government, how hard government makes people makes things to do, to do things and to do business, but. Thankfully, uh, we're moving out of our location now after being here for 11 years. It's in a basement on 1904 Guadalupe Street, and we're actually expanding into three different locations. Uh, Our friends at Capital Coin and Bullion are going to be selling our products. There's a location on 12th and New Oasis that's going to sell our products. And we are going to be setting up a bookstore and event space at Spider House Coffee, which is just up the road near UT campus. We're also partnering with Juiceland. They're going to be carrying some of our titles and three of their books. Uh, so we're really excited to uh, to be expanding our store and also to be embarking on these great uh, partnerships with some really cool Austin institutions. All right, awesome. And anything in closing, real quick, John? Yeah, if you want to learn more, check us out at bravenewbookstore.com. And I think people should be able to live their life without being forced to do things they don't believe in. And I think that's becoming less of an extreme idea. Yes. All right. Hey, we, hey, see, you got some people that are on your side here. Yeah, it's two, against, two against two. I like you. I, I'm on his side. I just don't think it needs to go to that extreme. All right. And hey, hey, thank you, John. I really appreciate you coming on. I know you got to get back to your kids and stuff like that. And you're also you're working. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today on Come and Talking. All right. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, guys. Keep yes, up. Thanks, thanks, man. John. Hey, James, what you got to say to us in closing? James calling all the way from Cambridge, Massachusetts. He's getting ready to graduate from Harvard Law School. James, what you got for us in closing? Yeah, I mean, just keep up the good work. Uh, you know, try to get 375 passed. I mean, 1911 is a mess. Uh, and uh, I <laughs> hope to see that. you guys down in Texas. Thank you, James. Appreciate it. We'll see you when you get here. Absolutely. Have a good one. All right. All right, so now let me bring it to the conversation. Justin, Justin with Lone Star Gun Rights. Justin, this House Bill 1911, uh, House Bill 375. Which way should we go, Justin? Oh, well, that's an easy answer, 375 all the way. All right, so uh, as, I, as we look at 1911, we want people to understand, okay, there's a difference between constitutional carry and permitless carry. Well, I consider HB 375 to be constitutional carry. I consider HB 1911, which it sounds like a great name, but I consider that to be permitless carry because that comes with a list of 13 restrictions. Uh, it says that, hey, you have to be a legal resident of Texas for six months. Well, that means that anyone is visiting the state of Texas. They're here on vacation. They cannot carry a handgun. What if you don't even know it's there? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 21 years of age. Okay, you got to be 21. You can't be convicted of a felony. 
Uh, you cannot be wait, charged wait. charged with a Class B or A misdemeanor. Can you be 18 right now and have a gun in your car? You can be 18 right now and have a handgun in your vehicle. Okay, but if 1911 passes, then you have to be 21. You, you can't there's be a possible. Yes, and the way I, I got to read it a little more, so I'm not going to come out and say for sure, but it kind of looks like right now that you may lose that right. I'm sure they'll. I'm, I'm, sure, look at that little I'm sure they well, will get a committee substitute now. and fix that problem. They'll be like the 19th committee substitute. All right, go ahead. And 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 this has gone back and forth. It has changed a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. And this is the final version that actually passed out of uh, the committee this past week. Go ahead, uh, Justin. Well, the only the only reason I can't give you a definite answer whether or not that's going to affect uh, 18 year olds or not, or, or 19 or 20 year olds, is because. In the original 46.035, which is unlawful carry, it used to say on or about the, the license holder's person under the authority of subchapter H411 government code. They strike all of that. So now it just says carries a handgun. So now I guess it's up to the, the officer's discretion of whether or not a handgun in the car is considered carrying or not. So, so if stand it, your ground yeah. and castle doctrine no longer apply then if you're not 21. Yeah, you, you, it, yeah. But you see that, what I'm saying, though, right, Mike? How it used right. to say honor about honor about your person, yeah, and now right. it's they've changed the language to just to just uh, carries. So now, so, what's so we're going to need an attorney general opinion, or we're going to have to wait until someone's a test case because the way that mm-hmm. reads, you know, it, it is confusing. The way it reads, then there's a possibility starting September the first, if this does pass, if you're 18, you're going to lose that right in your vehicle. It, I could. I could definitely see that happening because right now, I mean, we've had we've had numerous people contact us um, thinking that it was okay to open carry a, a handgun in the vehicle without a license. Uh, and the truth is, you can only have it concealed right now in, in the in the vehicle. So if an officer pulls you over and they see a handgun, let's say in the back seat exposed or in the front seat or wherever you have it, uh, you tell if, them if you they, have a handgun in your vehicle. Yes, and if, if they if they visually if they pull you over and visually see that they're going to charge you with unlawful carry. Right. So if they're if they're considering that carrying it being in your car, not on your person, I could see how this could 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 potentially roll over and affect uh, eighteen, nineteen, and twenty year olds if nineteen eleven is passed as is. And so if you're you're just visiting the state of Texas, you you know you can be charged mm-hmm. unlawful carrying if you don't have a license. Um, yes. All right. And, and if you're charged with a felony, if you're charged with a class B or a class A misdemeanor charge and 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 Zach brought up, you know, if you, you fart in public, you uh, there's an odor or something like that, a, a sound, a noise, you know, disorderly conduct, uh, trespass somebody off. You flip someone yeah, off. And, you know, we're not we're not trying to give people the impression that that's going to happen. But the way it's the way it's written and the, and the way the law is, I mean, it certainly could. It's not out of the realm of possibility. It's the problem. We're given a big tool. There's a big tool here that's being used. And and some people are very happy about it. Just so you know, you're losing your rights here. There's just too much discretion by a cop in this bill like a lot of this is left up to a cop does a cop d- determine whether damn is a bad word oh damn this oh that's vulgar you're getting crazy you're you gonna it. start a riot you're under arrest you said it too loud you just disorderly conduct uh, that's all i'm what if the cop one cop is halfway deaf 50 percent hearing disabled and the other one here is perfectly fine well, you're not allowed to that guy <laughs> but you're allowed to the other one you know, there's just too much discretion here in the law where you can't have that type of discretion when you're talking about people's gun rights for five years for being charged for a crime. It's insane. Yeah. Uh, this, it's a lot. It's definitely a lot. There's 13 items here. Uh, 
You are a fugitive from justice for a Class B misdemeanor. That means that you possibly have a warrant. Don't even know it. You know, maybe something went, you didn't show up for court. It went to warrant status. I got a warrant for a speeding ticket when I was 19 because I didn't pay the $35 court fee. Even though everything, I had all the paperwork saying it was all dismissed and everything. I didn't pay the $35 court fee and I actually got arrested for that warrant. So now, so it. now we're talking about if you, if it goes to warrant status, not only are you. You're screwed. You, yes. You're going to be charged with unlawfully carrying, which is now mm-hmm. <laughs> another charge. Uh-huh. And that's how they get you. They stick you and stick you stack and stick them, you. Stack them. We're calling this stacking, boy. We're stacking today. The state of Texas, we're stacking. And that's we're, why we're 275 simplifies everything. I don't understand why they're asking for a, a, a substitute. There doesn't need to be anything. There's no changes needed for three. I mean, yeah, well, I'll tell you exactly what's going on, David. The, the problem the legislature is everybody there, every Republican there proclaims themselves as pro-gun, which they are not. So what's what's going on here is they want us to water this bill down in committee because none of them none of them want to take uh, and, and file an amendment on the floor and, and have a record vote cast of, for all of Texas to see as the problem. They'd rather us water this bill down in committee so that they can still uh, claim that they're pro gun and vote for it on the floor. Yep. So they're just trying to avoid having to submit an amendment on the floor is what's going on because they're cowards. They don't want to be held accountable even though they're a politician. They don't think we have the right to know where they stand on this issue is the problem. Right, so Shame it's on our them. job to, to to prove them to them or show them that it, we absolutely do need to know where they stand on this issue. More, more, they need to realize uh, and learn who Marsha Farney was and what they're doing and what we could do to them. So, Shame so, on these so who is responsible for this, Justin? The the particular bill. For, who is responsible for not allowing House Bill 375 to come out of committee so that the full House can actually vote on this? One name. Uh, and who's responsible well, yeah, for pushing? Right now, right now, it's actually one, one individual, and that's going to be Phil King. He's actually the chairman of the Homeland, Secu- uh, Homeland and Security Committee. Okay. And how is that even possible? How can one person uh, hold it up so that so that the entire body uh, cannot you know, vote on this or bring amendments to change it? Well, as chairman, he determines what bills are heard in committee is the issue. Shame. Or, or, or brought up for a vote. Shame on him. Shame. Just shame. Yeah, I agree. Shame. 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 All right. So uh, and what do we need to do, Justin? Well, uh, first thing Monday morning and Tuesday morning, uh, we need to start hammering his phone lines. Uh, we've been putting a lot of pressure on him. Uh, and we need, we need to get this voted on uh, Tuesday. Uh, that'd be the net. That'd be the earliest that this this bill could be voted on again would be Tuesday. So, we want me to give out his phone number. Yeah, go for it. Yep. Walk him down the yeah, street and shame him. Rep- Representative Phil King, uh, write down this number if you're listening right now, and please call him first thing Monday morning, and uh, don't stop calling until this bill is voted out of committee. His phone number is five one two four six three zero seven three eight. And stay respectful, everybody. Pissing them off isn't going to do anything good for us right now. Well, I think we absolutely have a right to demand it. You <laughs> well, know? yes. Yeah, and uh, you they, can they, be they stern, work, but don't go us. cussing them out. You know, that's all I'm saying. There's no need for that, <laughs> but, I, but I, do, I, I do think you can, you can at the very least let them know that, that we're paying attention to this. And obviously, if this fails oh, yeah. to get a vote, he's certainly painted a target on his back. And what I mean by that is we, we will be block walking against him. We will help fund a competitor uh, come next primary uh, session. So Absolutely. Anything we can do to get him out of office, if he doesn't want to, if he doesn't want to recognize three seventy five, uh, we will we will do. 
And and so what do you what do you say to people that um do you, I mean let me ask Kent you know what what are your thoughts on this you know because uh, constitutional carry is three seventy five which is more what you know other states are actually passing in the in the United States here which is closer to a constitutional carry bill and you know you if, have if state- 1911 passes it it will be the weakest form of unlicensed carry in the United States and you have you have states like Vermont where Bernie Sanders is located. <laughs> You know, Good old burn, feel the know, burn. He's a socialist, and they have better, <laughs> you know, gun rights than we do here in Texas. I mean, what do you, what do you, when the person says that Vermont has better gun rights than the state of Texas? Ouch. What does that make? How does that make you feel as a Texan? That kind of hurts. Um, there's a reason we're so friendly down here. Is uh, you can't be rude. You don't know who is packing. Uh, we don't have the same road rate issues. We don't have the same problems. You mean we, an armed society is a polite society? We are the. I have traveled the world extensively. Um, I was stationed overseas for many years, and I can say there is no place like Texas, and we are friendly because of exactly that reason. And the chief of Interpol even said issues of extremism and mass shootings don't happen in places like Denver or Texas because of the exact reasons of our freedoms, and we need to protect those at all costs. All right, so Justin, what do you, what do you have to say to people? Uh, what else do you want to say to people about uh, House Bill 375 or 1911? Well, obviously, just 1911 is a bad bill. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's gun control in the disguise of uh, advancing gun rights, and in our opinion, because, like you say, it's going to it's going to end up bringing a lot of new people into this into this uh, into these requirements that that weren't weren't there before. And 375 is just tied to possession. We think that if you can legally purchase the firearm, uh, you should be able to you should be able to carry it. All right. And I want to thank everyone for joining us today. Uh, we got a chance to talk about constitutional carry. We hope you understand the difference between constitutional carry and permitless carry. Uh, most of the states are actually pushing constitutional carry, but the state of Texas, for some reason, they're pushing, we're pushing permitless carry. This is a shame. As always, more guns equals less crime. Go out and buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Keep your change. Keep up with the latest breaking news in Austin and around the world. Take a moment to make sure you're following us on Twitter at Talk 1370. Let the tweeting begin. Just one more way to stay connected with Talk 1370. The right choice. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.